So we were outside a few moments ago and I uh, had a sip of kombucha and then I passed it to you, Tallulah. And what happened? I had a little sip and I gagged and it was disgusting. Why did you gag? It's rank. It tastes like vinegar. No, kombucha is the best. And you know what's best about it? There's little sugar involved. And I'll, I will say in that moment, then one of us may or may not have been involved with some d- tobacco as well. <laughs> so, so, so I guess probably my, my question to you is, I mean, what would it take for you to cut sugar out of your diet? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Uh, I think um, it has to be... Well, I mean... I'm a comfort eater, so I suppose it's got to do with my mental health. What kind of state I'm in, I feel like if I'm in a bad mood, I will eat more sugar. Um, if I'm feeling happy, I don't. I eat better food. But I think, yeah, it's got all to do with my mental health. I guess it's true. Like when you're thinking, when you feel good about yourself, it's when you kind of do exercise. It's also when you feel like you look good, when people aren't judging you, um, when you're kind of out in nature, you kind of like all of that stuff. So it's, I feel like it's true. It's got so much to do with your state of well-being and your kind of state of mental health, I guess. And all of that's impacted by so many different things, isn't it? It's impacted by how much we are paid and how easily we're li- we can get by from our pay and what we're living on. Stability, being in an environment that you feel stable in, um, that you feel safe in. Call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Listening to Deadly Justice with Sarush and Talula. Welcome to the show. So, what are we talking about today? Food security and um, being able to have access to good quality food. Yeah, right. And we have some special guests. Who are we speaking to? We're speaking to Daryl Wright, who is a CEO at an AMS in Campbelltown. And <clears throat> shout out to our colleague, Eliana Sarmiento, who uh, would be wild at you right now, Tallulah, for talking about the AMS. What is an AMS? An Aboriginal Medical Service. Do you think everyone already knows that? Is that just her being a bit OCD? I think everybody knows that. We also talked to Simone Sheriff, who is uh, the project officer at Sachs Institute, and she's doing her PhD on issues with food security. Maybe just to start off, what do you see food security as being? Uh, Yeah, having availability and access to good quality food. Great. All right. We're going to cut to a song. uh, You're listening to Tallulah and Sarush on Deadly Justice. Hija de una isla rica, esclava de una son 
Welcome back to the show. You're with Tallulah and Sarush on Deadly Justice. So we've got Simone Sheriff and Daryl Wright, um, and they're from uh, they're from New South Wales, and they work in the field of, of food security. Simone and Darren, could you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? And Daryl, Daryl speaking here. I'm a CEO of an Aboriginal medical service. It's in Campbelltown, but it's about 50 kilometres in the centre of Sydney. Yeah. And we serve as a community of about four local government areas, and we have a lot of programs. And, and one of the things that we're always concerned about in our community is the uh, the uh, access to food and healthy food for our community. Thank you for having us today. Um, I'm Simone, and I work on a project in Sydney called um, CERT, the Study of Environment and Aboriginal Resilience and Child Health. Um, and I work on there as like a research assistant and um, trying to do my PhD at the moment. And so, um, yeah, I'm very interested around food security. Can you tell us um, both, we're still pretty new on this subject. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see food security as being? Yes, yeah, so I think <laughs> the definitions around food security are basically, um, you know, to be food, food security exists when all people at all times have physical and economic access to sufficient, safe, nutritious food to meet their kind of dietary needs. Um, 
And so the flip side of that, I suppose, is treating security, which is what we're talking about today. Um, so that's kind of around, like, um, limited or uncertain availability of healthy or, you know, nutritious food um, or kind of limited ability to be able to access that food. Um, and so I think um, a lot of the times when people think about food insecurity, they just think of people who are kind of starving, I suppose, but, you know, there's kind of different levels of food security. So there's um, mild to moderate in food insecurity, for example, has kind of been shown to be linked with chronic diseases such as diabetes and obesity. So it might not mean that you're literally starving, but you're running out of food every fortnight, a few days before payday, or that you can't even afford enough food. So you have to kind of buy really cheap filling things just to get on your family so they don't go hungry. Does that include, um, Daryl, I mean, what does it mean for people in the area that, that you um, run this, the AMS for? It's, it's available, available uh, food, healthy food. And, you know, um, and when I talk about that, under means top quality, top quality food, top quality uh, fruit and vegetables, and they're so important. And so what we do here... We run a fruit and vegetable program between 100 to 150 families per week. So we want to make sure that they are getting healthy stuff and good quality fruit and vegetables. And we know that the family's eating and the kids are eating it. Because it's hard even here to access and people who are unemployment, people who have good vehicles. Uh, and the money to get on the bus and go to town and that sort of stuff. So we want to make sure that we can bring those to the family. Yeah, and I think, um, Daryl, you can comment on this more, but in Ayrs, for example, the local IGA here, if you live in Ayrs and don't have transport, and that's your only stop that's available to you, it's very expensive, fruit and then and so poor yeah. quality. Like, I think that the fruit is blocking that something so And so, yeah, who wants to eat that? <laughs> What kinds of things pose a, f- a threat to food security? Yeah, so I think, um, well, there's, there's been a bit of data that's come out. And so the data showed that um, Aboriginal people living in remote areas, about 30% or more than one in four, are experiencing food insecurity. And in non-remote areas, like where we are today, um, about 20% or one in five, um, uh, the data shows is food insecure. And I think that's... Um, really underestimated. I think the rates are much higher than that. But obviously, people feel shame and fear they might lose their children if they report they're running out of food. And so I think um, the things that impact on food security are kind of, um, you know, there's many different things. But for example, transport, like not being able to even access food, um, the available income that you have to use to buy food for people on kind of um, unemployment benefits or low income makes it really hard to be able to even afford enough food. And then also food prices and food availability in the local area, um, big families um, having to provide for, and also racism. People face a lot of racism when accessing um, food relief um, charities or even mainstream, even going to shops. And then also there's that shame around kind of accessing mainstream services, um, a lack of stable housing, like people might be house hopping and not have stable housing, so that affects their ability to be able to be food secure or have maybe they don't have cooking facilities. It's um, It makes me think of so many different things. Like today we were working on a submission to Parliament to raise to seek to raise Newstart 
And one, New Start's just so hard for people to get by anyway. But then secondly, like you're talking about, I know you're on the other side of the country and it's like a more urban area, but it's similar things. Like it's people are food insecure because welfare is so low. And then the other issue that I think about as well is housing. So housing is, there's not enough social housing in the Kimberley. Because there's so little housing, that also then means there's lots of people in secondary homelessness. And once you're homeless, you're also food insecure, I take it. Do you know what I mean? Like there must be so many different factors that come together. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's why I think that you can't just look at food security from an individual level. It needs to be like a more of a holistic kind of whole community system kind of level approach to looking at it. There's so many issues that all feed into it. And, and the other thing is, too, is important to uh, claim the right food in respect of individual and communities and firmly strengthen the struggle, you know, and, and make them sure that there's no interference from, from other agencies. Daryl, it sounds like you're saying that's kind of a, like a, kind of like a self-determination framework, like... People and communities should be able to determine for themselves how they see food security and without having other people coming in and interfering. Is that right? And it's just like in the communities in the remote areas with the alcohol, you know, they don't want alcohol to come in the community, and then they feel that others are because they're making good money out of that they have to have it there. It's not their decision. It's community decision. It's other people's decision. We're going to cut to a song. This is Sugar Sugar by The Archies.
Welcome back to the show. This is an issue that you have to think about it systemically. What are ways that you're kind of addressing this or what are possible ways to address this as a systemic issue? Well, one of the first things we do is we sit down with the community and we've had a a big, big discussion with all agencies within the Campbelltown area and we've come up with a lot of suggestions. So it's important to get people on side and and we're talking about charities and everyone and get them all involved and then we'll work on what we what about come out of that. So we're moving forward with all those suggestions, you know. Mm. As part of this project that Daryl's talking about, with, um, as you're saying before, like community and people coming in and telling them um, what they need to do and happen. And so for this project, we wanted to hear communities' voices about what they thought were the barriers or things impacting food insecurity. Um, and so we kind of spoke with people one-on-one in community, like elders, Aboriginal families, community members, staff at the AMS. We all spoke to local um, uh, stakeholders from like council, local government, local health services, food suppliers themselves, education, etc. We all spoke to them one-on-one and then we brought them all together in a room um, to have a workshop to kind of look at these and not just like, we can't just say a health problem. The education needs to get involved, transport. Like, there um, needs to be, like, multi-sexual kind of involvement. And so we got them all together and um, in a room and kind of they built a map together about all the issues um, that the community felt were impacting on them being able to have access and afford enough healthy food. And then the community were talking about kind of solutions around how they felt like they could address kind of the barriers that were happening to the community. And so... Yeah, they came up with a number of solutions that they thought would work here for the community. And also the importance around, like, you know, um, I think constantly a number of service providers get funding for Aboriginal health programs. But um, I think the owners always come back on the AMS to do everything with Aboriginal health, but other organisations get funding to do things. And so I think very much in this project that AMS is leading the project, but other organisations also have to come to the table to, um, you know, uh, implement their section of the food system, I suppose. I think it's also important to um, for Aboriginal people to have access to traditional and cultural practices that allow them to go hunting and gathering for their own food in traditional yeah. and cultural ways. Yeah. I was thinking about this thing as we're, we're talking about how... So we do lots of community education kind of events. Tallulah runs them. And when we do them, we often have barbecues. And I, I wonder how healthy this, the snags are and everything. But I also yeah. feel like, well, it's kind of what brings the community together. So it's yeah. such a tricky balancing act. What do you think about it? Like, how do you, how do you balance this stuff? The medical, the medical service, we all want to talk about, we all want to be healthy. We all want to be, you know, provide uh, quality food. The other thing is that what we have to do here is that we have to educate our community, and that takes the time about uh, how, how to prepare these sort of things. So we, we started up a community kitchen. We started up a community garden, and then and it all starts from small, and, and, and it grows. And then we went, when we become, we wanted to make the place a uh, smoke-free zone. So that takes take about three to four years. Mm. And I had to do all that. But now we have a lot of functions. 
It's the community. They do it because they own the place. So we want them to own the place. So you got to make people feel that they're part of the system before they uh, grasp it. So I don't have to do that now. When we're a big function, community says, sorry, you can't smoke any. They go outside. We don't, we don't allow full cream milk. We don't allow sausages. We don't allow white bread. Mm. And then it's, it's working on all those things with the community to say, well, these are the reasons why we don't have these here, you know? We want you to be healthy. We are, what's it for your medical service for? So it's working with the community. We're giving the community ownership of it. And, and, and it's, it's a hard, it's hard task because you got, it takes time. Mm. And you're just going to keep knocking and opening the door. That sort of thing, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I I had a family member a few years ago who um, had diabetes and had had it for a fair while and didn't actually know that she had diabetes and um, wasn't aware because it wasn't explained to her. Um, it wasn't like the news wasn't delivered to her in, in language she didn't understand. And I said, it's about sugar. It's about not eating. It's about eating too much sugar and it's really bad and it can you could possibly die. Mm. And um, she just didn't understand. <coughs> and I think it's also like about um, change and, and learning. Like change takes time as well. So uh, someone was telling me recently a story about an old fellow who got diagnosed with lung cancer. It might have been Utila. And then the first thing that he wanted to do was go have a smoke afterward. And, and it's kind of like, you know, modern life has so many pressures that it's to kind of accept our own health. I think part of what you're both saying, which I really like, is no one likes to feel like they don't have control over themselves and their own decision-making processes. And one way to kind of feel like you have control is to be included in the story, to be able to decision-make with people, to kind of have time to think through things. So it seems like it's kind of a process rather than you just decide this change has to come in and then all of a sudden you, you impose that on people. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then what we also do now, we're starting to work with the corporate side of it, you know? Mm. The things that we can do. And, and not only that, we're talking about other areas throughout the, throughout the state where we can have big farms. How big people own a lot of land now? Mm. So they can get into their own, um, own growth in terms of uh, fruit and vegetables. And then pass it on, you know, feed, feed other communities. So it's important to do things up. And, and it's easy to talk about all this sort of stuff, but the next step is the hardest thing is to do it. Yeah. And, then, and then after that, it's the hard thing is to keep it going. Yeah. Keep it mm. going. You can't stop it, you know? Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun, like, especially around food, security, like, um, everything is like, visually based. It's always so short term. It's like it's for a day or two, and then. People are just left to like, what am I meant to do now? <laughs> Nothing's long term. <laughs> so in terms of, um, I guess, first steps for communities here, what would be the messages you'd give for how people can get things going to start planning to have more control and power over, over their food and feeling more food secure? Well, I think the first thing that we've done here is that you've got to get the mums on side. Got to get the grandmothers on side. They're the leaders. They're the ones who take us forward. Why? Because they're the head of the family. And it's so important that they're the ones. And they'll be the leaders. And make them understand 
And then you come up, you come up with data like your community, and that that can be easily done. Now, why we why we need this sort of thing is the data telling us that we're not healthy. This is why we got diabetes. This is all this sort of stuff, you know. I think those are sort of things where you got to start. And I really believe we got to get the mums and the and the and the grandmothers involved. Yeah, I think like um, the first thing could be to kind of get key people together in the community that you know people who control the kind of food that's coming into the community. I suppose um, transport um, in communities and getting key people like education, the health. Um, government, all the key people at the table who hold those kind of key different parts of the food system. I think you need them at the table, but more importantly, the Aboriginal community whose lives are being impacted by food security, they definitely need to be at the front of this project, talking about what the you know they're living it every day, like what their issues the issues are impacting food security and what they think can be done. I think that'll be the first step. Is just a coordinated effort, kind of getting everyone together to you know, talk about what the issues are and kind of map them out in a strategic way. We're going to cut to one more song. This is Sweet Like Chocolate by Shanks and Bigfoot.
I think um, one very important um, factor to food security is also feeling like you're in control of your money. So I think um, people feeling uh, they have control over their budgeting and how they can spend their money also I think is really important because you you, people are buying takeaway food and that kind of stuff because it's a quick solve for a quick problem. Mm. So uh, I think it's really important for people to be able to feel in control with their money um, to be able to make better decisions about their food. Definitely. I think, like, if you're on a low income and you're probably, like, there's probably a lot of other stresses going on in your life and then sometimes people are kind of driven towards these kind of payday loans just to be able to get by and they get in this kind of cycle of debt. And as you're saying, they don't have that control over their money and, like, more and more the money is being taken away from the food budget. I think it's difficult and, like, people are just trying to survive, let alone eat healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl, can you tell us a little bit about, I, I think people probably want to imagine because Broome's so different and Kimberley's so different, just about Campbelltown and where 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 you are and, and kind of give us an idea of that part of the country. Five or six years ago in Campbelltown, before, well, maybe 17, 17 years, but before I came I looked at the socioeconomic stats on the, on the area and there was five suburbs within the Campbelltown area that were the lowest in terms of housing and employment and all that, all that sort of stuff. And let's quit talking about non-Aboriginal people too. So I thought, well, you can imagine that Aboriginal people, who must be twice and three times as low as that. So we looked at those sort of stuff and, and worked on, on a lot of the issues. And particularly with the medical service, we took it away from the fashion and gave it back to the community. And then we started working on, on all those sort of issues. Once we start giving them opportunity to have their say and be involved, they know that they own the place. I don't own it. The board don't own it. The staff don't own it. The community service own the medical service. So that's why we are one of the leading medical services in the world, not just Australia. So it's getting them involved. It's having all these functions and talking about it, um, diabetes, kidneys, heart. And, and, and when they come here, they know that they come here and have food. It's healthy So, I mean, I'm hearing that you're saying it's everything. It's kind of housing, it's transport, it's... And then I'm hearing from a legal side, it's self-determination, it's consultation, and it's free prior informed consent. Like, it's how all of these... And it's kind of the rate of new start. It's how all of these things come together. Well, see, here at the yeah, medical service, I, I say it's better than going to Westfield shopping. Why? Because we've got the police come here, we've got settlement come here, we've got housing come here. We got legal aid come here, and then we were making the people happy, and they go back into houses not environmentally friendly. So what we did, we become a housing provider, so we can have control of those houses, so we can create employment and, and and get them into nice houses and renovate. It's all those sort of things. We look at the health from the day you're born to the day you die. So it's a body, it's a whole body. All those housing, employment, 
We're all involved and we do a lot of training with tape for the kids and all that sort of stuff. So it's everything, as you said, you know. You've got to take it all as one. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously, your program's based around um, looking at, you know, law issues. And so I think that, um, you know, access to food is just a basic human right. Surely people need to be able to have that right. And so I think, you know, for example, France, has become the first country in the world to ban supermarkets from throwing away or, you know, destroying unsold food, which, you know, makes forces them to instead, instead of throwing it out and wasting it, to donate it to charities and food banks that are going to be able to provide it to all the people that need food. I don't know why we can't do something like that in Australia. There's so much food waste going to waste and so many people that are hungry. And I think um, another thing, I was looking at the Kimberley area, for example, just some data and it was showing that, um, I think it was saying like 37% of the Kimberley population are kind of on like income support. And then you look at the, they've done research in the um, in the community stores, in remote communities in WA, and they showed that the, I think it was like 40% higher rates of food costs there. And it's like, how is that crazy? How are people meant to survive there? Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, and... I, I'm, I'm glad you speak about ways that laws and policies can play a role in all of this as well. There's so many um, no-nonsense kind of reforms that if you just spoke to someone on the street and you said to them, we're not allowing the supermarkets to throw food away, everyone would be like, yeah, that makes so much bloody sense, you know? So it's, it's good to think of practical things that communities can all agree on. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been really great to talk about food security and how that relates, especially in Campbelltown. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for Thank you me. very much and we wish you all the best. And any time you want to talk to us, give us a ring. Uh, we also have another guest today. Uh, this is actually my big brother, Isaiah, who is living in and working in Wanganyuka at the moment. Um, and, Isaiah, how are you? Yeah. Thanks, Azai. Can you tell us a little bit about Wonka Junker and what your community's like? Well, hot at the moment. <laughs> Dusty, windy. What is? And when you say hot, you mean really hot now, isn't it? Yeah, even the wind is hot. Jeez. It is very hot, yeah. When do, when do the rains start? Should be around about next month. Or this month, should we? Or clouds should be gathering already. Mm. Storm cloud, rain cloud, cloud. So, what about um, for people in Wonka Junker? What about getting going to the store? Like, how is it easy for people to go and to the community store and, and buy things? Does it get too hot? Um, do you run out of food sometimes? Like, how does it all work? Well, well, the shop is already is not for walking. Food is is very very well organized at the shop. Mm. We have uh, loading comes in every, nearly every fortnight or monthly, and the shop is refilling nearly most of the time. And well, the food we know everybody all working around full. Some saving, people saving money enough to last them nearly a fortnight to buy more food supplies mm. and not to run out of food mm. at home or anywhere. And why do you think people run out? Because, you know, like people do run out sometimes and then they're having to... Then you got to go next door and get yeah. a feed. <laughs> yeah. Well, usually houses are uh, packed out. 
Houses are yeah. packed out. This family, that family. Everyone's around with food supplies, you know, sometimes. Mm. Yeah, probably send that already. But what about um, being able to, like, when you want to go shopping in town, you have to organise to get, like, a driver and a car. Why Why is it difficult for people to go into town to do shopping? Well, yeah, not much cars. That's the first thing. And the family, most family got cars and everything to borrow, use, get food, mm. better food, really. Maybe vegetables, if everybody like to eat vegetables or whatever food they like to eat, whatever suits them. And what do you think, because you know, like all this stuff about diabetes and all the sugary, fizzy drinks and stuff like that, what do you think is a way to start getting people to eat better? Like a lot of the community stores, everyone buys meat pies and sausage rolls and chips. And Coke and and drinks. Yeah. How do you go about getting people to eat better and learn to eat better? individual choice really mm. it's up to the person who wants to change the way he eats or he she eats it's up to them nobody else can change him but themselves and uh, all the vegetables and everything are there mm. uh, yeah it's a matter of making the change yourself mm. everybody yeah. but you're saying to Lula, you've got to feel good about yourself if you're going to eat well yeah but maybe yeah. you're saying as Ira as well you can't force people to change like people got to want to change and, yeah. and people got to feel good about taking, making a new choice themselves as well, you know? Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, that usually comes every monthly mm. to the communities around Fletcher Valley. Mm. Uh, two women came out to it by teachers. Mm. And yeah, they've been waiting around and trying to talk to people as, as much as people as much people they can. Mm. Try and get the word out. You know when that flood happened a couple of years ago, what happened then? All the food started running out. Oh, yeah. Well, the roads, there was one main thing, main problem. Roads have been fixed from Wonganyunga to the main highway. Mm. There's been a problem ever since since the 90s, I think, for everybody. Yeah. The 90s and 80s, but fixed now from years and years back. Mm. With the creeks, and I think there's only one creek, uh, it doesn't really last long, the flood. Yeah, but the truck didn't come through for a while, hey? Yeah, it didn't come through further. Yeah. And shop started to run out of food and all. Mm. Had to wait you know, to, to the creek lower and run out of water. I feel like, look, back in the day, before before the mission days, people had control over what they ate. Also, people ate from the food that was here in the, well, in the Kimberley and Fitzroy Valley, but now all of us are dependent on stuff, trucks that come in. So I don't even know what the answer to this question is, Zaya, but like, how do we get back to having more power over what we eat? And I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it is very hard to question. Yeah, it is. I don't know the answer to it. Well, I guess it, well, it, uh, it's a mindset, man. Change your ways, change your way of thinking. What? How to gain the power into what to eat and how to eat. It seems connected, I reckon it seems connected to culture as well, because if you know your language and if you know your culture, like if you're growing up with culture and then as it all happens, I guess with law as well, then food's part of all of them ways as well. So it's something about um, supporting people to live a, cult- a cultural existence, cultural life, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks for doing the interview with us. Thank you. That was our show for today. Thank you for listening to us. It's Sarushan Tulula. We are from Kimberley Community Legal Services. We're on Carnarvon Street here in Broome and on Papuana Street in Kununurra. And a special thanks to our law students over in the ANU in Canberra who help prepare a lot of the content for our show. They're doing an amazing job for us and we just wanted to give them a special thanks. See you next time.